Now, brothers and sisters, it is time for us to look at God's Word together. So if you have a copy of Scripture with you, I'd ask that you take it out and look at God's Word with me in your own copy. We're going to be in the New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 1 is where we're at. Titus chapter 1, here in a moment I'll be reading from verse 10. Now, Adam's communion meditation right there is exactly in line with what we're talking about today in the sermon and where we come to in our text today in God's Word. Adam had a good quote right there at the beginning. doesn't matter how many times you apologize, if your actions don't change, your words start to mean nothing. The sermon title today is Actions Speak Louder Than Words. You've probably heard that said quite a bit. In our lives, actions speak louder than words. And it's so true. You might have heard a similar quote often attributed to Benjamin Franklin. Well done is better than well said. Well done is better than well said. Or that great philosopher type hairband of the 80s, Extreme, once said, more than words to show you feel that your love for me is real. Or how about this one? It's not who we are underneath, but what we do that defines us. Really profound, right? I think that might come from a, a book of philosophy from years and years ago. No, that, that's actually from Batman. Right? But it's true. All of this is true, and it stems from actions speak louder than words. It's true, and it's the, the theme of our text today. Let's get into our text. Titus chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 10. I'm going to read down to verse 16. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. In verse 10, Paul writes to Titus, he says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now, as we analyze this text this morning to see what God would have for us, I want you to notice Paul's focus on words in this section. His focus on the, the theme of words. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 he talks about empty talkers. In verse 11 he says they must be silenced. These deceivers, these insubordinate ones. In verse 13 he talks about Titus rebuking them sharply. Rebuke is something we do with words. And then in verse 16, which I think is the theme verse for this section so to speak. Verse 16 he says they profess to know God but they deny him by their works. Another place in the Bible says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their works betray them, so to speak. Their works reveal where their hearts truly are. And that is our first point from the text this morning, is our actions reveal our hearts. Your actions reveal 
your heart. Even more so than your words, your actions reveal your heart. Jesus once said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus also once said that you can recognize a tree by its fruits. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. By their fruits you will recognize them. And let me tell you, he wasn't talking about trees. So here Paul says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Their words say one thing, their actions say another. Our actions reveal what's inside of us. If you've ever been around someone who is an addict, someone who's addicted to a substance, after so many times of that person saying, this is it, this time I'm done, I promise, this is the last time, after so many times of that, at some point they have lost your trust. And at some point you have to judge them based on their actions, not on their words. Our actions reveal what's inside of us. So ask yourself this this morning. If someone who didn't know you, if someone who did not know you looked at your bank statements and saw where your money was going, everything that you spent money on, if someone who didn't know you looked at your bank statements, would they say that your priorities are the same as what you say they are? What do you say your priorities in life are? What do you say is most important to you? Would a person who looked at your bank statement say the same? Or think about it like this. What if you were videotaped for an entire week? Everything you did was videotaped and shown to a person who didn't know you. What would they say your priorities are? Would it be the same as what you say your priorities are? You see, you can't fool people who see your actions. You can't fool the people who know you. You can't fool the people who spend time with you. You can say whatever you want, but they know who you are based on what you do, based on your actions. And let me tell you, as a pastor, people try all the time to convince me that God is the most important thing in their life. All the time. When you meet someone you don't know out in, in town or out of town somewhere, and they ask what you do and you tell them, the conversation just keeps going, okay? But when I meet someone I don't know, and they say, oh, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor. You know what happens almost every time? They start defending themselves, okay? Almost every time they start defending themselves and, and defending why the last time they missed church was, essentially, okay? And they're like, and, and I, I can't tell you how much I just want to be like, hey, just talk to me like a person, okay? I'm a human being too. Just talk to me normal. But immediately you can tell that, that there's some kind of disconnect in between the way they think they should be and the way they are. People try to convince me all the time that God is the most important thing in their lives. And sometimes it's very clear, even though they're trying to convince me, that, that He's not. Sometimes it's very clear He's not. There's all kinds of things like bank statements and our actions that reveal what's going on inside of us. One of the things that reveals our hearts, and this is just one, but one of the things that reveals our hearts when it comes to godliness is Sunday worship attendance. Sunday worship attendance. Now, COVID-19 aside, okay, that we spent nine weeks where none of us came to church. Okay, COVID-19 aside, even now, it's not back to normal, okay, so we're not talking about now, but in a time that was quote-unquote normal, Sunday morning worship attendance is something that reveals our hearts. Now, it's not what saves people, don't get me wrong. You can come to church 52 weeks out of the year and still be lost. 
But it does reveal our hearts for those of us who say we follow Jesus, for those of us who say Jesus is our greatest treasure, for those of us who say we want to worship God with our lives. Sunday morning worship attendance reveals our hearts. I can't tell you how many times I have heard we can't come to worship because we have to go play baseball. We can't come to worship God because we have family visiting from out of town. We can't come to worship the Lord because we had a busy day on Saturday and 10 a.m. is just too early. I mean, I know I get up every weekday at 8 a.m. and go to work and I'm never late, but 10 a.m. on a week, weekend, that's just too early. I don't get paid for that, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's use honest language here. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with the Lord. There's no point in being dishonest with the Lord. He knows your heart better than you do. Let's use honest language. When we say things like that, what we really mean is we would rather be doing something else than worshiping the Lord. Even if it's just for that one day, we would rather be doing something else. I can't come to worship the Lord because I'd rather be in a deer stand. I can't come to worship the Lord because I'd rather be camping with my family. Let's be honest. Let's not sugarcoat things. Paul doesn't sugarcoat them. It reveals our hearts. Now let me be clear here. Sunday worship attendance is just one example. Okay, I'm just using one example of things that reveal our hearts. There's hundreds. There's hundreds of things out there that reveal our hearts. I'm just using one example. And my goal here, y'all, is not to increase our numbers on Sunday morning worship attendance just so that we can say we've got higher attendance on Sunday. That's not my goal. My goal here is for your heart to be fully given over to the Lord. My goal is for each and every one of your hearts to be fully given over to God, that Jesus would be the thing that you treasure most above everything else. Because if that's true, it will come forth in your actions. Your actions will follow your heart. Your heart is revealed by your actions. And so, like a good doctor, make a, an accurate diagnosis of your heart this morning. Make an accurate diagnosis of your heart this morning. There's all kinds of doctors out there who hear their patients all the time tell them why they're not sick or why they're not hurt, and yet that doctor has to look at what's actually going on, the objective evidence. So let's look at our actions and be real with ourselves and real with God this morning and accurately diagnose our hearts. Because not only do our actions reveal our hearts, but it also works in reverse. And this is important to see. Our hearts produce our actions. Right? Your heart produces your actions. Your actions come out of your heart. Your heart produces your actions. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me in the text. 10 and 11, I'm going to reread them. Paul says there, he says, There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And so as best we can tell, all these churches in Crete, this is where Timothy is in Crete, or Titus, I'm sorry, all these churches in Crete had significant problems with false teachers. These were most likely Jewish people who were coming in and teaching that if Gentiles wanted to be Christians, then they had to actually follow all the Jewish customs. 
If a Gentile wanted to become a Christian, he had to follow all the Old Testament rules. Right? Now remember, Titus himself is a Gentile. And so Paul is telling Titus, as you're speaking to all those people, you've, you've got to help them to understand, Gentiles can become Christians without becoming Jews. That's what he's talking about. So these false teachers are there teaching things like, if you eat certain foods, you are defiled and unclean. Like the Old Testament teaches. If you eat certain foods, you're defiled and unclean. They're teaching this to Gentiles, to people who had no history with the Old Testament law, no family history of God. Teaching things like, if you don't observe these Jewish festivals and holidays, you are unclean and defiled. Well, what does Paul say to that? Look at verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In other words, if your heart is pure, your actions will follow. If your heart is pure, your actions will follow. It's not the actions themselves that make you impure. It's your heart. Where's your heart? If your heart is pure, your actions will be pure. If your heart is defiled, your actions will be defiled. Jesus said similar things during his ministry. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of him. And what comes out of him is coming out of his heart. This is a heart issue. It's not your actions. Those are just symptoms. Actions are symptoms of the deeper issue. The deeper issue is the heart. The heart. And so the solution to all of this is not try harder, do better. That's behavior modification. And that works on the surface, but it doesn't work in the long run. Right? I can stand up here and berate a congregation for, for sins, whatever sins they are. And you know what will happen? Is it'll get better for just a little while, and then it'll go right back. Why? Because I, you didn't change the real problem. You just changed what's on the surface. Right? When you have cancer, you don't need a Band-Aid. You need deep surgery to root out the problem that's deep in there, right? It's a heart issue we're talking about. So, here's the question. If we've got a heart problem, if I have a heart problem this morning, how do I fix a heart problem? How do I fix that? And guess what? You can't. You can't fix your heart problem. Only God can. Only God can change your heart. Only God can change your heart. And so if that's true, if we can't fix our hearts, only God can, what must we do? We must run to Him. We must lay ourselves at the foot of His throne. We must repent and seek God's forgiveness. Turn to Jesus with all your heart. God promises us in Scripture, when we come to Him with all our hearts, He will meet us with compassion, with gentleness, with mercy, with understanding, with forgiveness, and with power to change us. Ask Him to change you. But also ask yourself something. Ask yourself if you have ever sincerely given your heart to God. Have you ever sincerely given your life to God? I'm not asking, did you get baptized one time? Right? You can get baptized and not have given your heart to God. That can happen. Have you ever genuinely given your heart to God? Or 
Have you grown up in this and been around it so much you've just thought, well, well it's come to me by default. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Uh, a, a famous saying is, God has no grandchildren. God is our Father, but He has no grandchildren. You don't get this faith just because your parents had it. You have to make a decision to genuinely give your life to Jesus. Have you done that? Don't fool yourself here. Don't fool yourself here. There are so many people fooling themselves and tricking themselves and convincing themselves that they are right with God when they are not. And I'm here to tell you, what's the point? What's the point of fooling yourself? You're just trying to avoid feeling bad? Are you trying to avoid other people and what they might think? There's no point in fooling yourself because you can't fool God. God knows. So there's no point in acting like you're more holy or more righteous in front of God than you actually are. Be honest with Him. Be brutally honest with yourself. The most real prayer I've ever heard in my entire life came by, by some, some guy that I was praying with when I was in college at University of Kentucky. Young guy by the name of Nick. Nick, if you're ever watching this, you prayed the most real prayer I've ever heard in my life, if he ever listens to this. But I was in my dorm room, probably senior year, University of Kentucky, praying with this guy named Nick, who was just starting to be interested in Christ. And he prayed and said something that floored me, and I, I like couldn't pray afterward, because I was hit so hard with it. He said, God, I don't want you right now, but I want to want you. And that was the most real prayer I've ever heard in my life. And immediately, I knew, immediately, and I've never forgot it, that's exactly where God wants our hearts. Honest, brutally honest, not trying to act like we're more holy than we are, not lying to ourselves in any way, telling God when we actually don't desire Him and asking Him to come in and fix our desires. It's the most real prayer I've ever heard, so don't fool yourself because you can't fool God. He knows. He knows. God knows if Jesus is the most important thing in your life. And God knows if there are other things in your life more important than Jesus. He knows. So be honest with yourself and be honest with Him. Now, we can't leave this text without dealing with one of the hardest passages, I think, in Scripture to make sense of. Verses 12 and 13. Listen to what this says. 12 and 13. Paul says to Titus, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said... Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, when I say Cretans here, I don't mean that old-school insult that people used to give to other people. You're just a Cretan, right? That's not what this is. That's spelled differently than this. This is somebody from Crete, okay? The, the Greek island of Crete. Cretan is a, a person from Crete. And Paul said one of their own prophets, a person from Crete himself, had said that Cretans are evil beasts, always liars, always evil beasts, always lazy gluttons. And then in verse 13 he says, this testimony is true. So rebuke them sharply. Gee, Paul, tell us how you really feel. What are we supposed to do with that? I got to admit, the first time I read that, as a Christian, I thought, that's not a very Christian thing for Paul to say. That sounds like a stereotype. That sounds like he's, he's not being gentle like he should. He's not 
being as loving as he should. Let me give you a little bit of historical background here, okay? Back in Jesus' time, actually a little bit before Jesus' time, there was a historian named Polybius, okay? He was a historian. All he did was write down the history of what was going on in his day. We still have records of his histories. Polybius wrote during this time about the people of Crete. He said, So much, in fact, do sordid love of gain and lust for wealth prevail among them that Cretans are the only people in the world in whose eyes no gain is disgraceful. No gain is, is disgraceful to them. At about the same time, Cicero, who was a Roman philosopher, he wrote that Cretans regarded highway robbery as honorable. Right? So if you robbed someone and attacked someone on the highway, you were applauded in that society. So they were notorious for immorality and sin. Absolutely notorious for immorality and sin. And Paul here quotes one of their own prophets, and then he says he agrees. Now, is Paul being too harsh here? Is he stereotyping? What's he doing? Well, think about this. How do we see Paul describe himself in the New Testament? How does Paul talk about himself in the New Testament? Well, he says he is the chief of sinners in one place. Over and over again, you'll see him call himself a wretched man. And at one place, he calls himself the worst sinner of all. See, Paul is not going to sugarcoat things. I greatly admire Paul for this in the New Testament. He's not going to sugarcoat things. He tells it like it is. And he says, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with each other. Let's look the truth square in the face and ask, what do we got to do about it? He's not going to sugarcoat things. But also remember this. Apart from Christ, we're all evil beasts. Are we not? Apart from Christ, I would be an evil beast. And that would not be an exaggeration if you saw my heart. If you could see the insides of my heart before Jesus changed it, you would shrink away from me. You would say, maybe that man shouldn't be our pastor. If you could have seen my heart before Jesus, it would not have been an exaggeration at all to call me an evil beast. Lazy. A glutton. A liar. But in 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9, this same Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, so we're all disqualified there in the first two, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Right? We were those things. We were those things. Some of us might still be those things. But what does he say afterward? He says, but you were washed. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus has the power to wash us clean. Jesus has the power to cleanse hearts. And if Jesus can take the heart of the worst sinner of them all, the Apostle Paul, and make him into a man who wrote half our New Testament, and make him into a man who in one part of the New Testament says imitate me as I imitate Christ, if Jesus can take the worst sinner of all and make him into that, 
then He can even change me. He can even take my heart and make it something good. And no matter how sinful you are, He can take your heart and turn it into something beautiful. And turn it slowly, bit by bit, into something that God is proud of. Into a child that God loves to call His child. No matter how sinful you are, Jesus can cleanse you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'm here to tell you, you don't just need to be cleansed on the day of your baptism. We need to go back to God day after day after day for repentance and cleansing. We've got to ask God to change our hearts all the time. I am still asking God to change my heart all the time after 21 years of being a Christian. God, make my heart like Jesus is because it's not. I see all these ways that my heart is not like Christ. I see all these ways that I don't love what God loves and hate what God hates, but I want to. God, change my heart. Continue to change my heart. I look back on my life and God has been changing my heart. And it's such an encouragement but I need Him to continue to do it. He can change anyone's heart. Jesus' death, Jesus' blood, has the power to wipe away any sin. No matter how defiled you think you might be, that defilement cannot hold a candle to the power of Jesus' blood. It's for you this morning. It's there for you this morning. Have you been brutally honest with yourself and are you sitting there thinking, I actually might not have ever given my life to Jesus. You, you want to be sure on this. You want to know. You don't want to get to the point where Jesus returns and then you're thinking, oh no, did I? Did I give my life to Jesus? You want to be sure on this. This is eternity at stake. When Christ returns or when you die, there's no second chance. Judgment comes right then and there for every single one of us. You've got to be sure on this, folks. And so here in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing an invitation song. And when we do, I'm going to ask you to respond to God's Word. What does it look like for you to respond to this? I don't know. I'm going to leave that up to you and the Holy Spirit. But do not resist the Spirit this morning. And do not deceive yourself because you can't deceive God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace and Your mercy and Your love. And thank You for Jesus. Thank You for being our ultimate Father and making the ultimate sacrifice any father could ever make by punishing Your own Son and giving Him up to death for us. Thank You so much for Jesus. God, we come before You right now and we ask You to cleanse our hearts. Make us clean. Wash us and help us to be pure. Help us to love You and to treasure Christ more than anything in this world. Help us, God. For we have honestly had times where we don't. We come to You in repentance and faith. And God, we ask You to change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you